Listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. This is our 10-minute mystery edition, a little slice of intrigue in the middle of your week. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with me is our storyteller and journalist, Paula Schleiss. Hi, everyone. So, where are you taking us tonight, Paula? Your hometown of Akron, Steve. Oh, that is my hometown. That is, and a case that has dogged investigators for 28 years. For this one, we're going to August 8th. 1991. The year I was born. No, not really. (laughs) (laughs) At the age of 17, Melissa Ann Collins is trying hard to make life work. She's the oldest of three children of Betty and John Collins, and she was attending Akron's Garfield High School. My alma mater. Your alma mater. The previous year when she learned she was pregnant. Now she's the mom of eight-month-old Jasmine, a cherub-faced little beauty that is the light of her life. Melissa is attending classes at the Teenage Pregnancy Center, and she's trying to be an adult. She's living on her own. She's subletting a one-room apartment from the residence of another woman on Westwood Avenue in West Akron. But she's unemployed, and she doesn't have a driver's license, so she depends heavily on her mom to help her out. And Betty Collins is there for her daughter and granddaughter. Early in the afternoon of August 8, she picks Melissa and Jasmine up and runs them on some errands to Rolling Acres Mall. That was the best mall. Yeah, that that mall is not around anymore. No. But it was the place to be back then. And so they swung by there to get some of their shopping done. Uh, Among other things, they stopped at the the J.C. Penney store to pick up new studio pictures of Jasmine. And then they were off to do laundry. About 4 p.m., Mrs. Collins drops Melissa and Jasmine off at their West Akron apartment, and she heads home. Now, Melissa and her mom talk by phone several times a day. They've always been close, even back when Melissa learned she was pregnant and ran away for a couple of weeks. She had a friend calling her parents regularly so they wouldn't worry. So when the next day comes and goes, and the day after that comes and goes, without any word from Melissa, Betty becomes concerned. She calls police. And that studio photo of Jasmine that they just picked up at J.C. Penney's, it becomes a missing persons poster. Sometime after Melissa and Jasmine vanished, Betty went to her daughter's apartment. It certainly didn't look like her daughter intended to leave and not come back. Melissa's clothing, freshly washed and folded at that laundry stop, was still stacked and waiting to be put away. Her purse was in the bedroom. The refrigerator was stocked with baby bottles. There were packages of diapers untouched. 
There was the plaque that Melissa often proudly showed off, a memento inscribed with her daughter's date of birth. It was still there. These are not things Melissa would have left behind, even if she had some unknown, unfathomable reason for going away. Well, the woman who sublet her apartment to Melissa told police that Melissa left the apartment. The woman who sublet her apartment to Melissa told police that Melissa had left the apartment after she had been dropped off by her mom. Her and Jasmine had taken off about 7.30 that night to walk to a store four blocks away. They had never returned. Well, Melissa's 18th birthday passed quietly on November 25th of that year. Jasmine's first birthday on December 29 went uncelebrated. Betty and John Collins posted pictures of Melissa and Jasmine on telephone poles and stores throughout West Akron. People called, some sincere, some pranksters, and the Collins chased every tip that came in, no matter how long of a long shot it was, to no avail. Police told reporters the case had them stumped. Nearly a year after the mom and daughter vanished, Detective Sharon Price said police had exhausted all leads and there were none left to follow. But two years after their disappearance, police revealed they had some pretty compelling information after all. They had a suspect, and they shared his name. The last person to see Melissa and Jasmine was a Raymond Smith Jr., a 37-year-old felon and drug abuser who went by the name of Sweet Pea. Smith sometimes stayed with a woman from whom Melissa was renting her apartment. And that information about Melissa leaving the apartment to walk to the store the night she disappeared, that nugget came from him. He told his girlfriend he had seen that, and she had shared it with police. Betty Collins had heard about this guy, if not by name, by reputation, Melissa had mentioned him, and frankly, she was a little afraid of him. He had been making some unwanted advances toward her. There was a whole lot more reason to be afraid of this guy than Betty knew, probably more than Melissa had known. Smith had felony convictions for drugs, sexual imposition, and aggravated assault. He was a drug abuser. He was actively being hunted by crack dealers because he had robbed a drug house. Huh. He had also been a patient at the Portage Path Community Mental Health Center. And to top it off, Smith had previously been considered in the case of a possible homicide. It happened in Tuskegee, Alabama, 10 years earlier, when a 13-year-old boy, possibly a relative of Smith's, was found floating in a swimming pool. The coroner couldn't determine the cause of the boy's death. But whatever happened in that case had authorities casting a suspicious eye in Smith's direction. Smith was still adding to his rap sheet. When our story takes place in 1991, he's out on bond on charges of receiving stolen property. And police said the night Melissa and Jasmine disappeared, Smith, too, went away for a couple of days. When he came back, someone noticed he had blood on his clothes. It's unclear of when police learned all of this, and they didn't explain why, but they came to believe that Melissa and Jasmine had been killed in a vacant house 
in West Akron and that their bodies might have been taken to New York City. But none of this information could have come from Smith because Smith was dead before police had the chance to interview him. Just six months after Melissa and Jasmine disappeared, that was February 12, 1992, Smith killed himself. He hung himself in the basement of a home on Raymond Street where his girlfriend was living at the time. There was no suicide note, though Smith did leave a piece of paper with five words on it, to whom it may concern. If he intended on confessing something, he must have had a change of heart. The rest of the page was blank. A friend told police that Smith had said he knew he might receive a stiff sentence if convicted in that stolen property case for which he was awaiting trial and that he did not want to go back to prison. But one can only wonder if a much bigger crime was weighing on his mind. If Melissa were alive today, she'd be 45. Jasmine would be 28. The Center for Missing and Exploited Children had portraits drawn to show what they would both look like today. You can go to their website to see those drawings. Police felt strongly that both were killed, but they are still officially missing persons. And whatever the case may be, their bodies have never been found. Um, Obviously, she was still in school, in my school, when I went there. What year did you graduate? 94. Oh, yeah. I never heard of this case. Really? Yeah, you surprised me with a lot of stuff. That's pretty interesting. Well, when I saw the pictures of them, um, and again, this was actually suggested by an Ohio Mr. Oh, that's fantastic. And when she put up those pictures, I I recognized them immediately. Yeah. I remember. You remember it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's it for our midweek 10-minute mystery. We'll see you here Sunday for our next regular full-sized Ohio mystery episode. In the meantime... Enjoy the rest of your week, and may all of your mysteries have happy endings. Hello, my name is Peter Zablocki, and I'm a historian, author, and college professor. I'm thrilled to invite you to check out Evergreen Network's History Shorts podcast. Every Tuesday and Thursday, join me on a journey through time, exploring the little-known and hidden gems of history. In each bite-sized episode, I'll dive into my original research to bring you intriguing historical curiosities you've probably never heard of, uncovering the fascinating stories that have shaped our world from forgotten figures to overlooked events. And the best part? I've condensed all this historical goodness into manageable chunks, perfect for your on-the-go lifestyle. Whether you're commuting to work or squeezing in a quick break, History Shorts fits into the little time you probably think you don't have. Subscribe now and never miss an episode of the History Shorts podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts.